Welcome to Tales from the Rabbit Hole. I'm your host, Mick West. My guest today is uh, Lieutenant Tim McMillan, retired, or just Tim McMillan. Uh, Tim is a former police officer, investigator, and writer, but uh, Tim, why don't you uh, start out and kind of give us a quick background of who you are and uh, where you are now? Sure, yeah, I'll I'll try to be as brief as possible, but just give you a little background of my, uh, you know, where I come from when I approach this topic, and that is, Mm -hmm. it's true, I uh, was in law enforcement for an agency just outside Savannah, Georgia, for almost 17 years, Um, very fortunate that the agency I worked for, actually worked for the chief of police I worked for is now the U.S. attorney for, excuse me, U.S. marshal for the Southern District, so he afforded me a lot of opportunities, so I wore a lot of titles and, and filled a lot of roles, which included violent crimes investigator. I was an interrogator at one point. I was uh, I worked uh, canine division. I was a shift commander. Um, I worked something that's kind of was newfangled at the time, which is uh, intelligence policing, where you're you're identifying asymmetrical connections between individuals. Uh, so an intelligence criminal intelligence angle. I am an instructor. Uh, my, my kind of expertise in the classes that I designed and taught for the state of Georgia and uh, at the federal level uh, relate to where my academic background is, which I hold undergraduate degrees in mathematics and psychology, in particular cognitive psychology, uh, perception-based stuff. And so I developed classes for uh, applied applied cognitive psychology for law enforcement, implicit bias type things, interviews, interrogations, you name it. Um, I could keep going and bore everybody there. They don't want to hear all about me. But uh, but the bulk of my experience does relate to law enforcement investigative right. capacity. And so now uh, you are a investigative journalist and you've been <laughs> writing a lot about uh, an area of mutual interest, which is why we're here mm-hmm. today, which is uh, UFOs. And in particular, the UFO videos and the UFO kind of events that have been talked about a lot for the past uh, well, th- yeah, three years and before that, uh, mm-hmm. which uh, kind of culminated in these three video releases recently uh, from the U.S. Navy. There's the three videos, these grainy little black and white videos, the Fleur video, the Gimbal video, and the Go Fast video. It's been seen all over TV, and we've done lots of talking about what they might be and everything. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what kind of got you started in writing about uh, this type of thing and you know, these these events in particular sure i i often well it's not well known but i, I tell people and i have no problem saying that that uh my interest in the subject uh really emerged about nine years ago when when myself and some other police officers uh actually saw something weird in the sky now i caveat that by saying um my experience was nowhere near as dramatic as you hear some people describe i am uh, perfectly content saying I don't have a pro, you know a pragmatic explanation, but uh, the area we're in is a, a lot of military activity. In fact, ironically, the 2015 events were about 50 miles off the coast of where I lived, and so a lot of military activity could have been something of that nature. But uh, initially, I got interested, and it really stemmed from my background in cognitive psychology, perception. I, I was wondering. If what I saw, uh, I knew it wasn't a hallucination because we had witnesses and, and other independent witnesses, but uh, is what people are seeing with these events really what they're seeing? And it's kind of mm-hmm. based on uh, linguistic principles that uh, if you lack the language for something, it's hard to perceive. We won't have to go down that rabbit hole, not to plug oh, the book. <laughs> that sounds fascinating, uh, <laughs> actually. 
Um, well, we can if you want, but that was my real involvement until mm-hmm. uh, I, I took early retirement, bought my last four years out uh, simply because I worked night shift for about five years and I have small kids and I didn't get to see them. So I took retirement and for a year I worked as an intelligence and investigative analyst for a private firm until uh, about eight or nine months ago. Uh, my wife works for the Department of Defense and we had an opportunity to come move and live in Germany. So I'm coming live to you from Germany right now. Um, and so in being interested in this, and I think probably like yourself, when these events uh, really became popular, seeing them on the, the New York Times and the news, um, for me and my background, which, w- which was investigations and criminal investigations, I saw this void in what I consider, and this is not to down any other journalist or anybody, because I tell everybody, I'm not a journalist. I'm an investigator mm-hmm. who sometimes writes and is very fortunate to write for publications like the War Zone, Vice, Popular Mechanics. But I felt like there wasn't any real investigation going into it. And I think uh, I, I think we probably share in this idea that uh, the implication, if these are something very complex, and I don't find that is very complex, so not easily explained, that's significant. And so I was kind of like, well, why is no one putting forth the effort here? It's, it's just a quick news blurb or uh, an entertainment TV show. So what led me down throughout is I, I have always been one of those people that's, again, probably like yourself, when you do the experiments and everything, it's kind of like, I'm not going to wait on anybody else. I'm going to do it myself. Yeah. And so that's what's led me to this point. And, and the last year, I would say now, I'm probably most publicly known for some of the articles that I've been fortunate enough to put out there in some mainstream publications. Um, really, I will say approaching it from a national security and defense standpoint. Um, I, I've only written one article about UFOs, and that was about Stanton Friedman's archives for Vice News. I thought it was a cool story. I thought he was a great man who passed away, and I thought it, people should know that his archives are available. All my other stories, if people really paid attention, their defense national security stories that happen to involve UFOs. Hmm. And so that's kind of how I got into this topic and kind of where I'm at right now with it. Yeah, that's fascinating because we seem to be coming, you know, kind of at the same subject from different angles in a way. Like I I personally (laughs) do a lot of analyzing the videos and to a certain Mm -hmm. extent analyzing the, the eyewitness accounts in terms of like how fast things are moving and things like that. Uh, and you focus more, I think, on uh, on the people involved and mm-hmm. on the the institutions like the the military and the the the, the 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 big machine that's behind everything. And how do you how do you get information out of that big machine? Uh, so how do you how do you go about like you know you wanted to investigate, say, like the the Fleur incident, the, the Nimitz incident? Mm-hmm. Where, where mm-hmm. did you start with that? Sure. And, and you hit the nail on the head. And uh, in terms of we do have differing approaches, but I say, uh, again, kind of a similar goal. And um, I will be remiss if I don't point this out right up front that um, I know you get a lot of flack online and sometimes I rib you and everything. But I, I do have a lot of respect to commend you because I have noticed I mean, you're willing to respectfully engage with people, even when they're very angry and mm-hmm. you know, insults and everything. And so it's great to have an opportunity. And I appreciate you letting me come on here because from different backgrounds, different approaches, um, that's actually all I'm advocating with any of this. And so um, in terms of how you go about it is I go about what I know. 
And, and that is, you're right. Uh, my specialty is with the human side of investigations, meaning interviews, uh, which include interrogations. And that sounds scary in the sense because you think of the TV phone books. It's just a different manner in how you approach and talk to people to try to determine uh, if information that they're sharing is both accurate and or try to work uh within something that I know that you've talked about and cover well, which is memory fallibility and how memory is distorted. How can you reach this to a point where uh, these would be eyewitnesses I'd feel comfortable bringing to a court of law mm-hmm. and, and having them testify? And so it starts with a human angle uh, is how I approach it. Uh, as you mentioned, kind of by happenstance, I grew up in a big military family um, of people who worked within the Pentagon, with worked within the DIA. And so as a little kid, you know, I'd hear them and, uh, you know, my uncle and his friends and their buddies drinking and talking about all the bureaucracy and all the little intangibles that isn't fun. Um, and so I, I got a real good understanding of how the bureaucratic processes work. In addition to, I think, when I'm working in a localized government setting, it's kind of a microism of the federal government of where, uh, decisions are often made, and you know this from the work you do, conspiracy theory kind of emerges because it helps fill in that gap of unknown right. information. And you don't realize some decisions are really arbitrary. Some decisions are made because of some somebody's selfishness at a high end. Um, and, you know, you deal with elected leaders that, that maybe aren't qualified, but they got votes. And so I do understand, I have been able to connect, I would say, with a lot of the people who both have worked in government, who are working in presently in this type of genre, and out of it by just kind of understanding and hopefully being able to share the things that just seem natural to them. Like they just say, oh, that's silly. And they dismiss something. Mm -hmm. Um, I know why it seems silly to them because all the other weird factors. And so I I do try very, very hard. Anybody who's seen me on Twitter or anything, you'll see me cite U.S. code sections constantly. I'm a legal nerd. I'll admit it. Um, but I think that's important. And I, I will say with this topic, I think you and I would would be you know, healed a step in terms of the idea that the, in, the infestation of conspiracy theory is very easy because there's a lot of things that are boring, like those policies and laws that allow for that to come in. And so just I hopefully been able to give some people some understanding of what's legal, what, how things are normal in, in yeah. a policy perspective world is, is important because ultimately it helps us give us a real decision or conclusion as to what's going on here. Um, and so for me, you know, this, the, the last uh, most significant article I published was the popular mechanics um, piece where I revealed the, the past 10 month report and, and, tried to reveal as much as I could on what was going on with these government programs back in 2008 uh, to 2012 and potentially what's going on today and also try to answer some of the questions that had lingered out there about some of these people's involvement. And that was a lot of gumshoe work and, you know, Without having, and I always have to be careful, and, and I want to make sure that I make this point because, you know, in engaging the, the UFO, quote, community, um, conspiracy is easy. And I get people saying, well, who's your source? Tell it to me. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I, 
all these things go under the same standards, the editorial standards of these publications, and I treat them the same way I would as a confidential informant in a court of law. But I am legally bound by Supreme Court ruling that if I talk to somebody and they provide me with a valid reason why they require anonymity, I'm legally obligated to give that to them. And so I could be held liable. And so um, there's a lot of little factors that go in there to try to form a full picture of it. And I think people would probably be shocked at the things that I don't publish or don't share because it's not corroborated. And um, but that's a big I'll problem, though, isn't it? Because it's mm-hmm. the uh, this 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 wall of on, on one hand uh, uh, secrecy and the, the, those things that are naturally secret, like state secrets and uh, operational secrets, and that. And then there's this mm-hmm. confidentiality thing where there's some people they know things, but they don't want to talk because they don't want the publicity because they just don't want the the press knocking on their door or whatever. So you've got all this this uh, this big mass of information that's kind of hidden behind a cloud that you personally mm-hmm. know some of. And you, know, you can perhaps tell me some bits of it in confidence that I can't tell mm-hmm. other people. And so we all know little bits and bobs, and you probably know mm-hmm. way more than most people. And then we have to try to kind of write stories or make videos or do articles based on things that we can't tell other people. How, how do we work in that framework? It's, it's very difficult. And, and, I, and I hope people understand that. And, I, and I'll say... Um, you know, if anybody's seen our conversations on Twitter or in general, um, I, I don't, I don't knock you for everything because I understand exactly what's going on here. And you're right. I, I think you talk about this considerably, the low information zone. And um, I will say I, I, one point I'd like to make clear because I don't know that I've ever made it clear in an interview and things is that um, one problem when it comes to this particular subject. So UFOs or UAP, um, and we can get into later why that term UAP is now used, because I don't mm-hmm. I think people have a misunderstanding. But um, why that is so difficult to crack in terms of coming out of government is it's not for some of the more conspiratorial reasons that I think people think that there's this men in black cabal. There's this dark secret type thing that they're hiding the, the Bob Lazar saucers in the mountains. I've never seen any evidence for that. So I can't say that that's true. But what there is, is there is a lack of legal framework and policy framework related to true unidentified events. And so when the military defense encounters something that does not fit into these parameters that they operate under. And, and, and to give you an idea, uh, the parameters are established when you're dealing in the defense industry. Um, they're very stringent. Uh, I always like to tell people the story that if you go out to the National Training Center, uh, they have these these turtles. And this was big in the early 2000s, late 90s. They have these tortoises that are endangered. And so you'll have these entire workups, entire, uh, you know, mm. division getting ready to deploy. You're out there in tanks pretending to go into war and somebody spots a turtle. Everything stops. And some guy's got to ride in a jeep and come collect the turtle. And so. Everything's so controlled. And when you encounter something that doesn't fit into that, it's very difficult. Uh, You know, how do you classify it? How do you even discuss it? How do you form a policy for it? Because in the bureaucratic settings of the United States government, it takes 10 people to change a roll of toilet paper. (laughs) Because you've got all these policy analysts who's got to do this. Like, we're going to step a work study to decide if this toilet paper is better than the other. 
And so you don't have that framework here. And mm-hmm. um, I think that allows for a lot of the void of information. But the military, like, say, if they were in a battlefield and something unexpected mm-hmm. cropped up in front of them, they're not going to, mm-hmm. you know, phone back to the head office and await further instructions. They're going to deal with that situation if there was you know, some kind of perceived threat. So I'm thinking mm-hmm. like of, of the Nimitz case. This is this case back in 2004 where mm-hmm. there were these these blips on the radar that they, they kept seeing for several days. And mm-hmm. then eventually this whole event culminated with them sending a jet out there with Commander Fravor on board. And he saw this uh, tic-tac-shaped object bouncing around and then flying off into the distance. And then another pilot went out and took the video, which is the video that we see of the blurry dot in the distance. Now, like with the tortoise example... Uh, you've got like mm. something in a, in a way similar. You've got uh, mm-hmm. the them seeing these radar blips, and I think it was Gary Voorhis, one of the guys there, who described them to me as being moving slowly south, not slowly, a hundred knots, which is like one hundred and fifteen mm-hmm. miles an hour south uh, at a high altitude, which is very slow for a plane. Uh, and they did this for several days, and they would just drift south. It that's that seems like to me. Even though it's, it's something that's out of the realms of the ordinary, isn't the military set up in that if extraordinary things happen, they're trained to quickly uh, decide what to do in that situation? So why wasn't anything done, do you think, back in the, the Nimitz mm-hmm. days when they saw these weird radar blips in the distance? Sure. And again, I can only speculate and then talk to, because I have spoken to Gary and some of the other enlisted personnel, um, some who don't want to go on the record because of the possessions that they currently have, but I can describe what they said to me. Um, The real answer there is exactly the turtle example is a great one because everybody knows what to do when they see the turtle, they flag it. The guy in the Jeep comes, everybody pops their, their lights. And so everybody's got their IR flares. So they know where each other are. They get the turtle to get it out. Now in the framework of context of when you come in contact with something that literally defies any type of you know policy or anything you, that you're prepared for. And, and that's one of the things I, I really stress with all of this is I'm happy to be wrong, but uh, the totality of evidence that I have here is that this, this is a complex problem, probably more complex than we give it credit for. And uh, I say that because the, the first thing, when you, they first started getting these radar contacts, Uh, And you said, why didn't they send anybody up? I think they very correctly uh, assessed this, that it was a malfunction in the the radar systems. And so you had the Spy One Bravo radar system, which was, you know, the brand new radar system at the time. Um, And so I think very correctly they assessed that and go, this doesn't make sense because, as you said, some of these radar contacts are moving at speeds that are inconsistent with how we define flight. Um, and including moving too slow, they should be stalling out unless they're balloons or something of that nature. Mm-hmm. So the first thing is this is this is a um, this has got to be a, a problem in the system. Uh, I was very fortunate to speak with a gentleman who was the electronic warfare specialist on the USS Princeton. Uh, this is not someone who's come out publicly. It, it relates to the position that he holds right now. And, and I understand that respect that why he wouldn't. But uh, he had a great position in here because he, even I, I people should realize it's not like I came into this believer camp. I, I wrote the 
the article with T.D. Barnes from Area 51 and Jean Petit, the grandfather of electronic warfare. I interviewed them and said, can this be electronic warfare? And so I always went down that route. I never went down, it's aliens. Um, and so the first thought is, could this be it? Now, this, the gentleman I interviewed is, is the guy who would know in terms mm -hmm. of electronic warfare. Um, and he pointed out something that I don't think uh, has been talked about or discussed, and that was that it wasn't just the Spy One Bravo radar that picked these things up. They took the Spy One Bravo down. They put up the SPS-49 and the SPS-48, so the, the previous iterations of these radar systems, and they continued to get the tracks. So uh, in terms of those first couple of days, I think they went through all the checks and balances you would see because the performances and characteristics they were picking up was inconsistent with aircraft and uh, really anything engaged in flight. And so, of course, if you're getting that, I think, None of, I, none of your first theory, yours and mine would not be, well, guys, we've got them. We got the aliens. Let's launch the crew. Uh, it would be, eh, this has got to be a mistake in the system. What's going on here? And so they went through those kind of checks and balances with, with how do you assess, is this something that we're really tangibly getting? Um, and, it, and again, it kind of falls into this weird realm where it's outside the box, and so even what they were recording, it, it, it's this um, something I'll tell you that I've heard with um, all of these witnesses is something they've struggled with. That is, this is not real because mm. it's not in our reality. I observed it. And so it was really in front of me. And so there's this weird struggle. And, and I, I can't stress that enough because when I, I said it, uh, a lot of the stuff I did towards perception of people that had interviewed or had, had witnessed strange things like that. People who have witnessed something that I, that shatters how they define reality. There's a noticeable behavioral uh, effect on them. And I was a, a certified criminal investigative uh, analyst, which is a really pretty way of saying profiler now because the term profiling and policing has a negative connotation for good reason. And so I was able to develop a, a profile of people who had encountered something I believe they perceive to shatter their kind of reality. And, and part of that is shame. And, and that's the best way I can describe it. Mm -hmm. And so there's this really weird, shameful kind of attitude to say, I've just seen something that's not real, but yet it really happened. And so I think that you see that go across all the way to the top there this idea it's not real. And so I think it's easier um, to dismiss it for, for a good part initially. I, I think that a lot of the work that you've done with conspiracy theories, I think you would agree with me. Conspiracy theories exist because the brain hates confusion. It hates mm -hmm. lack of information and uh, they like simple problems. Yeah, I would, I would kind of agree with, uh, with that, that uh, if you have, an explanation for something is better than having no explanation. And the thing I kind of started out writing about many, many years ago was a thing called Morgellons disease, where people, mm -hmm. uh, they, they were ill in that they had the you know, various malaises and they had various symptoms like itching and things like that. And they did, the doctors didn't know what it was. It was an idiopathic disease, meaning they don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. And it happens all the time. You get these idiopathic diseases and they just send you home with some, some itch cream 
but people want to have an explanation. And so when this explanation of Morgellons disease, which sounds like this really amazing thing where these little, I don't know, nanorobots or something or fibers come out of your skin, uh, they, they take that explanation because it explains everything. And yeah. with this Nimitz thing, I guess the, there's two ways of looking at it in a way. There's, there's the way like people want to have a straightforward explanation that fits their worldview. So they want to say, oh, it's just radar glitches or it's, uh, you know, it's just like the, the Navy was testing a drone or something like that. It's not nothing mm-hmm. important. Or they might think that they, you know, oh, maybe it's aliens. Maybe for, for some people that explanation makes more sense than, uh, than mm-hmm. the other explanations and they, they prefer that. But getting back to what you were saying earlier, though, about you know the it going right to the top, uh, people wanting it not to to be you know, you know they don't know what it is. It almost mm-hmm. seems like you're almost describing some kind of mass psychogenic delusion where people are sweeping these radar returns under the under the rug. And if you if they're getting consistent radar returns of mm-hmm. something that's flying at 100 miles per hour to the south, 100 knots to the south, and mm-hmm. then they get it on a different radar system. Isn't it mm-hmm. at that point they're going to actually take it seriously? I mean, is, is that what happened? Did they do it at that point? Well, uh, you know, no. I, uh, it, there's a second factor here that would also have been involved. Um and I understand that the guys, uh, the, you know, like Gary and the enlisted witnesses that you've spoken to probably haven't spoken to this because it does involve some classified stuff. Although everything that I know and say, I don't I don't hold a security classification. And so this is all public information. But I understand their hesitation to discuss these type of things. But the area that they were operating under, um, there's particularly two islands that are right nearby there, San Clemente and San Nicolas. Uh, these are the... You know, Area 51 is a tourist attraction. These are the spots. And so um, in particular, they, I, I do know for a fact because I spoke with actually legal affairs from Naval Base Coronado um, about what San Clemente could have or didn't have tracking on these things because uh, they were able to tell me very limited information, which was that uh, in, in 2004, uh, the Fleet Area Command that was in that region has the ability to monitor the airspace for approximately, this off the top of my head, but roughly 156,000 square nautical miles, um, of which 2,936 square nautical miles they could view uh, three-dimensional, uh, a three-dimensions of the airspace both below and above the ocean surface up to 80,000 feet. And so there was communication when, when I asked, uh, was Fleet Area C- Control Command involved with the Nimitz? And, and I was simply told, um, for classified reasons, uh, Fleet Area Control Command does have control of the airspace and, and what is operating inside um, the SoCal training range. Um, beyond that, and they were in communicado with the Nimitz Carrier Group and CSG-11, Uh Beyond the Department of Defense's unidentified designation, there's nothing else they can say. And I think that goes into kind of what we talked about, that vacuum mm-hmm. of where them being able to give more information as to what led to that basis, it, it, it's going to involve highly cla- – I mean, you just think about it. If they can tell me that they can see three dimensions and 80,000 feet above and below, what the heck can't they talk about? <laughs> and so – 
Um, you have. Well, I mean, this- that, I think that three dimensions, eighty thousand feet, just means that they can place things by their the various radar systems. Sure. It doesn't mean that they've got a a big three D model of everything. That's the it gives you very high resolution. I mean, you can understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the spy one radar is this directed beam radar thing, and it has lots of different beams, and it can it can identify things in three D space. So I think that kind of the way you described it makes it sound a bit more impressive than it is. I mean, I'm sure the military has extremely good technology, but they don't have like a, a detailed three D model. It's not like they can go into Google Earth in real time and and see the ships uh, as they actually are uh, in real time. But they can they can get positions of things three D space. Sure. Well, yeah, and. and- I appreciate you clearing that up. They they, the they said, well, kind of. <laughs> I'm, I'm technical in that I understand 3D space, and I have a, a basic understanding of uh, of radar and things like that. But obviously, I've never used radar, and so people mm-hmm. will uh, people will sometimes jump upon me on Twitter and uh, reel off a list of acronyms and said, "Have you ever done the blah 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 blah?" And I go, "No, I haven't," but uh, <laughs> I, I understand, you know, what uh, uh, I you might know, basic be guilty physics. of that too. I apologize, Nick. <laughs> no, no, it's, it wasn't you. It was, uh, various, anyway, okay. but uh, so these this, these these secret mm-hmm. bases—not secret bases, but these uh, these highly secure, classified, etc. bases that you that you talk to people from—would they even were they even able to tell you if they had a contact with an object? They said beyond the government's unidentified classification, right. that is it. Um, so that's basically nothing, really. I mean, they, 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 it's not very, you can't, you, if they told you nothing at all, it's just the same thing as them telling you what they told you because they're just saying that they can't say anything. Correct. Other than, and you're right. Uh, and you're right. That gets into kind of um, trying to interpret that statement. Um, uh, I will say, in examining what they said there, again, this is just opinion. Um, what they were trying to get at is, we have some of the top notch stuff around and that this top notch stuff would have been involved in maybe not the initial analysis mm-hmm. of these events going on during the time, but later analysis. And we can get into that later if you'd like, but um, kind of strike into that initial point. Why wasn't it treated more seriously? Right. Um, I, I, and this can lead into the part that I believe has, has not been discussed w- much at all. And I think it's it's important. And this is where I am firmly willing to say that, uh, you know, my position on this based on all known information is that this was a uh, an unusual event that was highly complex that has yet to really f- have. We have yet to find a conclusion that fits in, in a total explanatory model. Um and this is where I come with that. And and it is uh, in speaking to Commander Fravor's uh, wing woman, and I think she's only spoke once, and that was on the, the unidentified television show, to my knowledge. Mm-hmm. I was very fortunate to be able to speak with her. Um, and she told me something that um, I, I was not, I don't believe it was shared on the TV show. And I Pardon my ignorance, but I don't watch a lot of TV, and so I don't know what goes on in Identified. I don't know what goes on the History Channel. But she told me something that I believe has not been been really discussed. I know I haven't heard Commander Fravor say it. And I think uh, she has said in the, in the few interviews, or the one interview she did, talking about the fear factor of when she saw it. She elaborated to me where that fear factor came from. And, and just to give you some basis, 
uh, for me and in term when trying to determine factual credible statements and, and what could be um, could be deterioration due to memory fallibility. Uh, one of the things I do, and now I'm going to tip it off here, and now Gary and all these people I've talked to are going to go, aha, that's what he was doing. But as a trained interrogator and interviewer, uh, one of the things you do is you do try to elicit the emotions that went on during the time, hmm. because emotions help draw back better memories, though they can distort memories. And where you see if there's a traumatic event, people will repress memories. But if you if you start the stage by saying, how did you feel then? You know, what did you what was going on? And in her case, she had expressed uh, on the TV show she was frightened and um I'm going to be I, I, going to be very cautious and respect her because she, I understand the reason she she doesn't want to step forward. But I, I do want to make sure that I will make this point clear because I think she deserves it, is that the accounts being given by this pilot today, you know, years later compared to the pilot that was there then is a much different pilot. And I mean experience. And this is a highly accomplished pilot that I uh, have tremendous respect for and and truly do hope when the day arrives that she's maybe able to come out and mm -hmm. reveal herself she does because um not knocking commander fravor or anybody but i'll just say this this was a woman who spent not only as an as a pilot an f-18 pilot she spent 18 18 months with boots on the ground in afghanistan in an exchange program with the army so i mean this is All a right. tough woman and so i was very impressed by what she had to say but when she relived the concern that really set her off it was actually when they first observed the object hovering above the ocean and so this is the part that i don't think fravor fravor i believe has said it was like a ping pong ball bouncing around what she told me was a little more dramatic and that's what unnerved her was that this thing is exactly when i think we've we've kind of briefly talked about it, is it was moving in instantaneous uh, acute angles, uh, obtruse angles, um, inconsistent with how we define flight. And so this thing was was moving, uh, I like to say a bucket of minnows. That's, that's not, and she didn't see any control surfaces. So the moment you saw that, um, she realized one point that I've tried to make to people a lot is that it is erroneous to call these UFOs as unidentified flying objects. These true, really bizarre cases, ladies and gentlemen, they're not flying by how we define flight. <laughs> they're not engaged in lift and thrust. They lack the control surfaces. They lack the angle of attack. They lack the airfoil. And they are not performing consistent with what objects that have consistent mass they're not influenced by that. So that was the initial thing that really struck her and unnerved her. Because I think in her interview, she says, you know, when Commander Fravor's like, I'm going to chase it. She's like, have at it, dude, because this thing is not moving like that. So that was something that was very intriguing there. Later on, and these are all independent. Um, later on, when I, I spoke to, uh, to Gary Voorhees, which I think he's, he spoke to you, um, you know, and he may have mentioned that going up to like the smoke deck where they, this was kind of this fun habit they would do. See them on radar, learn the bearing and the heading, run up to the big eyes, binoculars, and they would see these things doing exactly what she described in which is instantaneous movement 
that doesn't seem to be affected by objects with constant mass. They're not influenced by this. Um, when I spoke to the Naval Air Weapon Systems, uh, electronic weapon systems uh, operator, he described the same thing. And, this, so they, and I just want to make sure that all of these interviews were on different independent months apart. You know, some of them haven't wanted to come forward. So you, you do have to kind of weigh this thing where are they playing off of each other. But in this case, they all kept describing the same thing. It is something that's moving rapidly in, in acute angles that is inconsistent with how we define flight. Uh, Chad Underwood, which unfortunately, and I mentioned to you this off camera, I want to make sure I didn't think that I had this from you because had he been able to get me a statement, um, in time, we would have, I would have given it to you and we could have discussed it here. Unfortunately, uh, I think Chad just, um, life and everything he yeah. was unable to, but he may still, uh, provide a, a specific statement, but, uh, you pointed this out in a, our private discussions that he described in his, his one known interview you may have it in front of you, the, the what we don't see in these little brief clips was this bizarre, erratic, instantaneous, weird movements and angles and everything. Mm -hmm. So this strange pattern emerged where you're not describing something engaged in flight and, and that I'm aware of because it's not being bound. And, and you mentioned that, and I think that's very, very important. You said, but everything's bound by the laws of physics. I agree. And so what are we talking about here? Obviously, there are a lot of things that aren't aliens, uh, holograms. And you would probably know this better than me, but I believe that the, there's, a there's a potential you could somehow use a hologram to do something like this. Not really. Radar. Not, not really. Okay. I don't think uh, conventional physics would allow for a hologram in uh, in, in oh. broad daylight, which would actually do mm -hmm. that because you you can't project darkness and opacity. You can project light essentially. So it uh, sure. seems seems it, unlikely that uh, well, certainly an actual. It, some people say that it might be a hologram around something, but even that doesn't 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 make much sense from a conventional physics point of view. But of course, you know, in in many people's minds, conventional physics is out of the water. So, uh, I, out, out and, of the ballpark. And I say that I, I brought up the hologram because I'm just trying to think in my mind how you could have a visual that would be able to perform mm -hmm. with these different maneuvers. But but you're right. I, I spoke to uh, you know defense experts, defense technology people, and and they said the same thing you did. They're like, look, yeah. dude, you're not going to have a hologram that can do this, and tell me a hologram that's going to have a solid surface return. And and that was that was another key point in the electronic systems warfare specialist that I talked to. Is he said, um, look, man, we tracked him on, on the spy one. We tracked him on the SPS-49. We tracked him on the SPS-48. Uh, when it came to the USS Princeton's ability to track electronic sig signal data, he said we couldn't get it. We couldn't get electronic signal. Now, I know PJ Hughes has said mm. that the, uh, the E-2 Hawkeye, which for anybody who's not aware, that's the, the, the big aircraft, air warning craft. It's got the big dome on top. And, and so uh, the they potentially could have systems on there that would have been more advanced to, to maybe pick up electronic signal signature data. But um, when I spoke with him, when he said it was picked up on these three systems, um, he said, 
<laughs> his exact quote was, dude, it had skin. And I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> you know, and he said, it's solid. And so I don't know how a hologram would do that. Um, yeah. Meaning signals bounced off it, like the radar bounced off it or whatever they were using. Yes, they, but they didn't pick out electronic signal data on it, at least from the Princeton mm. side. And so that's very curious. Uh, but the Hawkeye supposedly <laughs> did. Um, and so I, I, I wholeheartedly are, agree. And I think there's something that you've said as well is we are at the open source level. So you and I don't have security classification. Nobody called me oh, yeah. in to, to analyze it. Um, we are in an inter- information vacuum. But those uh, those particular interviews, I will say, uh, they really had an impact on me because, and it's hard to describe without, I wish I could show them on TV when I'm talking to them and how you set this up to get this information. But when you see this consistency of what I consider, I agree with you, movement that is inconsistent with our laws of physics, does it mean it's an alien spacecraft? Absolutely not. That is, that is, a, that is a jump that... It's it's silly to do that. Um, is it something really maneuvering that way? I don't know, but it would seemingly appear on multiple days based on these witness testimonies. It is something that at least appears like it is. You keep and, um, describing it as an it, as if this is one <laughs> thing doing this thing. And from from my perspective, I've always thought of them as being separate events that might have some connection, but also might not have a connection. Like if you start out with what you originally saw, it was multiple targets going south. I think there was um, as, as many as three at one time going south at you know, a little more than wind speed, if not if not wind speed. Uh, mm-hmm. Then you have like radar targets that start at, but I think it was 80,000 feet and drop down to, or was it 28,000 feet? I can't remember exactly, but they, they dropped down uh, so they mm-hmm. said at a rate that was uh, basically impossible, it would have been hundreds of G's. Uh, it would have been right. you know, physically impossible for something to do that. Mm-hmm. Then you've got, uh, then you've got uh, Fravor's encounter, uh, and uh, you you get the initial thing where he sees a little white dot down by the ocean with a, an ocean disturbance, like some kind of boiling water type thing, roiling water. And it has this this ping pong thing that, that the wing woman describes as being impossible angles, being kind of instantaneous changes in direction, like it was bouncing off something. And you said like like minnows, I, th- I think, because yeah. fish can change direction very bucket. quickly. Yeah, yeah. because that they just bim 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 all, all over the place, uh, uh, which a plane can't do. Then you've got Fravor's next description of what happened, which was essentially him flying in a circle. And mm-hmm. the craft, uh, from his perspective, being on the opposite side of that circle and mirroring his motion, and then when he went down, it, it went up, and then when he went towards it, 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 it zipped zip past him from his perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then you've got the uh, uh, Chad Underwood's uh, video, which is of something that, from what we see in the video, just looks like something that's flying uh, probably away from the plane and it kind of gets a little bit closer, but it doesn't really move. I mean, there's, there's arguments about whether it moves, but I, th- I think probably just the camera movement. But you know, there's a big technical argument about that. But I think it's I think it's fairly clear that that's not moving. So you've, you've got all these these different things, all these different things, and 
you try to say that we've got one object that's doing these amazing things. I mean, could it be that even within the flavor encounter, there could have been more than one thing? Like they were looking down, they saw something in the water or something near the water that was was bouncing around. Um, Various things have been posited. Uh, Somebody Mm -hmm. even mentioned the seagulls. Uh, as, as possibility. <laughs> Who was that, man? <laughs> Somebody. There's memes out there. I have to figure yes. it out. <laughs> yes. All uh, uh, things like reflections off the canopy for some kind of initial <laughs> sighting where you, you're right. looking and you think you see something, but you're actually not seeing what you think you're seeing. Then you fly down and perhaps you see something else and you're not not seeing what you think you're seeing. Like uh, one one thing I suggested for the whole encounter thing was that what Fravor was seeing when he was circling it was something that wasn't on the other side of the circle. He was actually in the middle of the circle. And because he was flying around the middle of the circle, it looked like this thing was mirroring him. And then when he flew towards it, because he thought it was over there when it was actually halfway towards him, he had this, this perception of intense speed. But then of course you've got the account of his wing woman who to some, to some degree correlates what he saw. So I don't know what that was, but was that the same thing as these slowly drifting uh, things from a few days earlier? Was it the same thing as the thing that popped down from one level to another? Was it the thing that instantly appeared at their cap point, their rendezvous point uh, uh, later on the thing? Were these just things that because people were getting into this mindset of like, oh, there's these weird things going on, they start looking and they start seeing, oh, this is a, here's a weird thing, here's a weird thing. There's lots of weird things. It's one big weird thing. Mm-hmm. Well, no, and, and that's a great point. And, and I, I definitely, um, and I think you're very respectful about that too. I don't want to say anybody's wrong and, and that they're everything there. I will say there's certain things there that I agree that you, that, um, you kind of brought up that, that from my end in, in interviewing some of these people, uh, and I'm going to name names, but there are certain aspects that I think are out there in the ether that I don't lump into that category of saying this is good anecdotal evidence. I consider this eyewitness testimony to be really good. Um, One of those is uh, the cap point return. And I know that's probably going to make a lot of people mad, but I'll just say in in my speaking with people, I'm not sure how certain that is. Uh, And it it fell enough into that category where where we talk about where this may be memory confounding differing events and this type of stuff. So I don't know. It it could have. But to me, I've never used that whole it's back at your cap point as being Mm -hmm. evidence because I just haven't I haven't felt comfortable enough to say that. The cap point return, just for people who don't know what that is, that's when Commander Fravor went out and he saw this, had this encounter, and then it had gone, and he was on his way back, and he got contacted by by someone, a radar controller or whoever was in charge of that type of thing, saying that uh, from his account that it had reappeared at his cap point, which I think uh, is something something combat air patrol, combat amp, I don't know where it is. <laughs> but it's, 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 it's someplace it's, where they were going. It was a, a point they were going to like uh, go and then hold for a while. And mm-hmm. there he said that it had reappeared there in a way that it seemed like it was either going so fast the radar couldn't track it or it had teleported there or something there. So you, you're saying you think that was an unrelated event or just like a conflation of memory somehow? I, I'm just saying for me, and that's what I say, I, I try to be very, very cautious about what, what, 
if you'll notice the articles that I did when I when I did the, the enlisted witnesses back in November for property mechanics, I didn't discuss that. Um, mm. And that's simply because it I'm not saying it's not true. It just didn't pass the test. And when I talked to people that I felt 100 percent confident that was an accurate rec- recollection and memory of those events, it could have teleported to the cap point. It could have um, some other contact. Yeah, you know, that's the other thing is I'll just say when I went through that, it's one of these things where as you look back 15 years later, um, could could the object have passed through this region that was a cap point at some point in time? And then therefore, as you look back in it, you go, well, it wasn't the cap point. It must have been this and this and and. and, and and I, and I really love all those guys. I think they're great salt-of-the-earth people, Gary, Kevin, all of them. They, I can't stress enough. And you, you talk to Gary. I was always been impressed mm-hmm. by him. Would He would sit there, and I would talk about systems. He'd be like, oh, no, no, you can't be that. It's you know, He would know these systems <laughs> like the back of his hand. Um, but when it came to that, just that particular account, do I think that anyone overtly is – being deceptive there? No, I didn't. Det- I've never detected deception with no. any of these people. Do I think that there's potential that you're out there for the weeks at time? Could something could at some point in time they have passed through it and you just bring this back into it, it kind of really poisons that memory. Mm. And yeah. with all of those guys, and they'll be the first to tell you, I'm very nice. I still talk to them. I, I think they're great guys. I don't turn to them necessarily for um, evidence and eyewitness testimony anymore because it's no offense to them, but we all, they, they just all the events and attention that they've gotten the past two years. Um, I try to get them as fresh as possible before you start getting everything. And, and that's why it's unfortunate that some, a lot of the, the good, inter- the, the best testimony I've got has come from people that I had to track down who hadn't come out yet, but it was very important to me to get corroborating evidence that hadn't told the story time and time and time again um, to see where you could corroborate different things. And so the yeah. cap point thing, I, 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 that's just me. I'm just saying I, in, as of right now, I don't consider that to be a significant, uh, I wouldn't say I wouldn't bring that in the court of law if the case depended on that. Um, so it's, it's in a way like, you know, you're, you're talking about not interviewing people after they've told the same story mm-hmm. for years and years and, and in a way, and, and multiple people have told the story. And do you get kind of like crosstalk in a way, like one person's story infects another person's story? And I'm thinking here mm-hmm. of Underwood to a degree. Uh, Chad Underwood mm-hmm. is the guy who took the video, the Fleur video after uh, Fravor went out there and he gave an, an interview that's in the intelligence magazine and mm-hmm. in it, he's talking about the object making sudden movements. And he says, that's what caught my eye. Like it, you know, contradicted the laws of physics. And, and he mentions like in the same paragraph that it, it dropped from 80,000 feet to, to 500 feet. But I don't mm-hmm. think that's something that he personally saw that particular thing, mm-hmm. the, the 80,000 feet. That's something that, you know, Kevin day observed on the radar So it almost seems to me like, and this is something I wanted you to clarify with him, if you could talk Mm -hmm. to him, is if he was kind of blending in things that people had told him or even things that he'd read about or seen on TV that people, like Mm -hmm. other people's accounts, like Fravor's accounts 
of the ping pong could in a way kind of um, infect his, not his recollection, but his, his retelling of it, even subconsciously, even though mm-hmm. he's, he's telling it as if it's from his perspective, he's also telling it from a broader perspective, like he's, he's incorporating mm-hmm. other people's stories. And did, did that seem... I, mean, I guess we'll have to talk to Chad and ask him. But, uh, we'll have to talk. Yeah, we will. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I understand. Like I said, I think he has always, I think from the get-go, kind of shied away from it. And, and I don't yeah. think it's because he doesn't believe everything that went on there. Um, and I, I would say that – let's go to what he said. What was interesting to me about what Chad said when he came out in the Intelligencer uh, in New York Magazine was it was strikingly remarkable to me because there was a lot of contention. And I know you brought this up about a longer video and who had seen what. Mm-hmm. And so it was consistent with what I, some other people had talked about. And, and, and in fact, Fravor's wing woman had said with this bucket of minnows darting around. And so I found it very compelling. But you're right. Uh, we would need to talk to him and and say, is this what you saw on the radar screen or, or on that FLIR screen um, that formed that? That his description was very consistent with the other descriptions that were given there um, because of his lack of involvement with, with um, the rest of everybody who's been involved and kind of going on the news or doing things. Uh, I, I just don't know. You're right. Yeah. It would be reckless of me to form an actual conclusion because I don't know how much Chad Underwood has paid attention to this. And um, so I don't know how much influence that would be in it. Um, and again, what's interesting to me with this, and, and I came into this um, you know, a year ago when I said, all right, I'm going to seriously investigate this in general. Um, it, it wasn't just limited to the Nimitz. And I know we said we, we, talk beforehand is that I, I have very, very, very limited involvement with the 2015 events. I, I choose not to talk about them because I think that's reckless to talk about it with such limited information. But it was some of what these people have described. I was really, really surprised, Mick, to see this was not just an isolated event in 2004. And, and I mean, down to the point of the the, the weird angled movements and Mm -hmm. shape of objects, color of objects. Uh, You know, there was one that I hope to maybe bring out an article with uh, about the Loring Air Force Base one. So there's these weird cases that go out there. And that was in 1975. Um, There's these weird cases where you see this strange kind of similar pattern with what we would call unidentified flying objects. Uh, which I contend aren't flying, of these strange zipping around angles, and they're not flying. And, and so I agree wholeheartedly with you when you say, yeah, I hear what they're saying, but God, ladies and gentlemen, that doesn't fit our fi- physics. Now, I agree. I, I will know there, there's absolutely zero. You won't sit here and have me say it fits our physics. And in fact, you don't hear me go down the rabbit hole. I got another plug of um, trying to say that this is anti-gravity technology, both secret and or alien. I take this nuanced view that we're potentially looking at something very, very complex and it may not be able to be easily simplified. And it may not be new to 2004, um, 
it may be something that's longstanding. And I think that's where my continued interest has gone into this. Um, going down to recently, and I, you know, if this is something you want to discuss, is I, I spent a lot of time wanting to know where did the social sentiment and opinion regarding UFOs come from. Yeah. And so I think the seminal kind of what, what ended Project Blue Book and everything was the Condon Report in 1969. And I, I don't fault anybody for not reading all 1,426 pages. I'm a nerd. I'll admit it. And, and I was really I'll tell you, Mick, I was surprised at two things. My impression of what was said in that report versus what was reported to that report had said in the news media, even following that time, uh, I was really surprised that their conclusion was ultimately they didn't see any scientific or national security value of continuing to study this, but yet mm -hmm. acknowledge the limitations in optical and atmospheric science. And in the value statement, they said this conclusion may not hold for all time. And I found it very interesting to, to add that. Um, and I'll just well, say real quick before you before you rebuttal that is that I think before I, I think one of the interest most interesting things that I found there and didn't expect to see was where I could find a conclusion where they said uh, you know clearly prosaic explanations couldn't be completely ruled out. However, the most probable uh, conclusion based on everything was a intelligently controlled mechanical device of unknown origin. That's weird. That's a weird thing for them to say. And that was their conclusion. And so, you know, for me, they could have explained 11,999, but that one there that they decided was most likely a mechanical device of unknown origin, that's interesting. Yeah. And so... Where what, do we what year lack? did that come out? Uh, 1969 is when it was released. And that's why I say that I think people have, uh, if, if you if you spend a lot of time looking at that, what you'll see is that it was submitted uh, in November of 1968. The Conning Report was submitted. It went through peer review. Uh, it was actually not formally publicly released until... Uh, late January 1969. However, it was reported in the news. And in fact, famed uh, science writer Walter Sullivan with the New York Times reported on it in January 7th. So a month before the actual report came out, uh, it had been reported in the news mm -hmm. of what the conclusions were. And I think if you looked at it, though, and I, I'm not saying that they said these are aliens. I just yeah. say that they acknowledged they hadn't come to a conclusion here i think uh sometimes the tech the vocabulary and the phrasing that you get in these uh, official reports sometimes mm -hmm. gives an impression that perhaps wasn't the intent of the impression like for example we mentioned unidentified aerial phenomenon and mm -hmm. i had one guy a a, a journalist of, of long standing who's been writing about this stuff for for a long time who was saying Mick, why did they why do they call it a phenomenon if it's not something phenomenal <laughs> he was he was thinking that phenomena meant something that was uh something incredible and amazing and outside of our understanding like monsters and aliens and magic and things like that when 
obviously unidentified aerial phenomena uh, from just their perspective. It just means something that happened. It's the phenomena that happened. It's an unidentified aerial thing. <laughs> it's just phenomena right. sounds a bit better than thing. Uh, so it's yeah. either it's either like it, it means that they're not ruling out things like uh, like like lights in the sky that are a Venus. Mm -hmm. it, it's not it's not necessarily a flying object. Mm -hmm. It could be some like optical thing. It could be something wrong with the camera. Uh, things like mm -hmm. that. So these are phenomena. Like physical phenomena is you know water boiling at a hundred degrees is a physical phenomena. So it's not it's not uh, uh, it doesn't mean what it, some people might take it to mean. And then the description you gave of a uh, an intelligently controlled mechanical device of unknown origin sounds really weird uh, if you kind of come at it from a perspective of like aliens might be real, but if if they were coming from a perspective where they didn't really think it was possibly aliens, but uh, then you know they could be just thinking, what term should we use to encompass a wide range of things uh, that would include remote controlled aircraft, uh, mm -hmm. perhaps perhaps balloons? I don't know if that would be mechanically controlled, but you know, remote controlled aircraft, uh, like yeah, aircraft that's con controlled by some kind of clockwork mechanism. They had they had things like that before. Uh, or, or aircraft that uh, have people on them controlling it. So they wanted a term that would encompass multiple things, like the UAP thing, because that encompasses multiple things. And if you look at the the navies, you know they've, they've given various statements. One of the statements they gave about what a UAP might be, they say it might mm -hmm. be a plane, it might be a drone, it might be a balloon. So the, they have a term that encompasses a range of things. But people take it to mean something a bit more specific. They, they take the, this 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 open endedness of it as being that there's something unknown there. Where did they say that? The the uh, this, the balloon drone and plane thing. I'm unfamiliar with that. Yeah, there's there's two places I think where it, where it came up. Uh, one is in the I think it's the 1918 form that. Elizondo used oh, okay. to get it declassified. Okay. He mentioned it there, but there's also, it's also I think it was mentioned by the Navy spokesman Gradisher uh, okay. when he was mentioning things like that. I would have to check on that, but certainly it was definitely yeah. in that that declassification form, like you know UAPs, for example, um, balloons, drones, or aircraft. Mm -hmm. Sure, and, and I don't mind talking about that one, yeah, because I'm un unaware of Gratishers because I've I've pushed um, not as much Gratishers, but Susan Go now, who who handles mm -hmm. uh, out of the, the office other spokesman, the other spokesman, yes, oh, the, she's the yeah. UF, okay, the, the poor the poor woman who's been de designated the UFO <laughs> yeah. spokesman. Um, yeah, I, I'm unfamiliar with them defining it as that. Uh, I'd have to look through it. But, I don't think it was a formal that. definition. I think he was. I think okay. he gave us examples of because he was talking about. Um, I think he was. It was during the period where he was kind of surprised at the reaction everything was getting, and he was uh, he was trying to say no, we just mean things like you know, uh, airspace incursions, which might be drones or uh, or planes. I, d I don't know if he mentioned balloons, but I, I might be just getting that from the form. But I'm pretty sure he mentioned okay. uh, drones. So I th you know, my point is really that the that the, they're covering their the bases with these things, uh, but I don't think their bases really include uh, you know some kind of alien type thing. Well, I we agree on one thing, and I, for certain, actually, probably a lot of things is that I think it is, it's just a false dichotomy, and it, it's it's wrong headed from anybody's side. I think you're, you're a skeptic or quote believer, 
to automatically assume that UAP UFO e- mm-hmm. equates to alien. Okay. So I, I have never, I don't espouse that. I don't try to propagate. I don't I'm trying to say that. I, I do believe it, it represents potentially a more complex problem than, than, than can be simply answered easily. But uh, you're right. Anybody, if you're jumping to aliens, they're, I'll just say, and looking at all of it and talking to these people who even look at this stuff right now in government, I have not heard one of them say alien. Um, yeah. But um, <laughs> as, as far as the, the Form 1910, I, I don't mind commenting on some of that because I did uh, I did an article on that and actually investigated that and was able to speak to some of the individuals who were involved in the, the process of the disclosure thing, along with, with Mr. Elizondo. Um and so in terms of uh, what uh, Mr. Elizondo says in terms you know, what they wrote on that form, mm-hmm. I think people have really harped on that. Well, that's what it is and blah, 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 blah. Uh, Mr. Elizondo's a- explanation has been, look, that's what we wrote on there because it, it goes back to what I said in this bureaucratic process where it takes 10 people to change toilet paper. Um, Dopser Sure, they are cleared for top secret information, but at the end of the day, they rely on their original classification authority. In this case, was the Navy. And so um, I, I did in, in an article I wrote in January, trying to follow the tail of the tape, where, mm-hmm. where I was able to, to, you know, this was the Susan Goh, the spokesperson, said it wasn't Elizondo's fault. It was responsible of Dopser to, to not get this final uh, public release approved. Uh, her words, not mine. That's what people, I, listen, I'm no. F- it's not like I'm fans with to the stars or anybody else. We can go on to things that, that happen that I disagree with. But um, when it came to that in terms of what they titled it is, uh, as um, I talked to three different people who had worked. Uh, one was in the DIA. One was in the CIA Science Technology Division, all retired. And I asked them, I said, is this weird to you? And I explained the situation and everything. And they 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 said, you know. He could have wrote giant purple elephants on there, and it doesn't matter so long as the original classification authority, which in this case was the Navy, was always in the loop because that was who originally classified it. That's who's originally going to determine what it is and isn't. And in the emails that were released through FOIA, we can see the list that, that the there was naval personnel. There was an original classification authority included the entire time. And so I... I um, there's nothing that I have found. Uh, there's no evidence that I have found that that involved any kind of either a deception, which would have been initial deception, meaning I'm trying to trick you, ha ha ha, that these are really balloons and, and get them out. Or now to this day that these were really balloons. Um, and, and, but to your point, as you're saying, could UAP I- I- encompass these types of things? Um, you know, it, it could encompass a lot of things, you know, spaceships included or or not. Um, I don't mind talking on the fact that I think probably one of the most significant things that occurred as of recent for me um, was the Department of Defense release. Uh, what was it last Monday, last week? Um, because I, I want to make sure that I kind of express the boring side of things that went on with that and where that was impressive and significant in my opinion is this was a release that was done by the office of the secretary of defense 
And so uh, when it wasn't just Susan Go telling me, it wasn't just Susan Go telling whoever, uh, this was a, a formal release that went out through the press pool. It was an official release by the Department of Defense. And so in this particular instance, and I remember we talked a little bit about it, what are the policies in terms of like Southern Command or Pacific Command? And I was being a jerk, but at the end of the day, it's a little different because at the Office of the Secretary of Defense, that is how that's the civilian government heads who are okay. in charge of the military. And so the process before that release went out would have involved general counsel, legal affairs, uh, the secretary of defense, um, up to and I'm not limited potentially to the president of the United States. And so I, I do believe if there was a more prosaic explanation that had been determined right. there, yeah, I think they would have said it. And, yeah. and I know. Well, yeah, the thing is that, yeah, I, they are unidentified. The things in these videos are unidentified, but that does that. What does that mean? It just means they weren't able to identify them because they were too far away, or there wasn't enough information in the videos. They haven't mm -hmm. identified that they were something weird. They just haven't mm -hmm. identified what they were. It, so it's. I think it's well, almost. It, when I was reading the. Sorry, when I was reading the um, the the press release that went along with that from the uh, the the I can't remember which office it is, but uh, the they basically almost seemed like they thought that releasing these videos officially would clear things up, and they said like it would answer questions as to whether uh, whether there's more video. I should I should look at what the actual uh, thing is real quick. Let's see, I've got a link on my first page here. Navy released it. So they said, uh, it, DOD is releasing the videos in order to clear up any misconceptions by the public on whether or not the footage that has been circulated was real or whether or not there is more videos. The aerial phenomena observed in the videos remains characterized as unidentified. Uh, and they said it doesn't reveal any sensitive capabilities or systems or doesn't impinge upon future investigations. So they didn't really say very much, but they, they kind of said that they were clearing up misconceptions with this release. And they said it's well, like released yeah. this shitstorm shit of uh, speculation of uh, everybody saying that uh, Navy admits UFOs are real. When all it is is that Navy admits uh, they couldn't identify certain things on certain videos. Sure. And, and this is where we kind of, from my point of view, because I know that's the thing is I think it's cool that we both come from different backgrounds. And so that's cool because I think we can come to, I'll learn a lot from you and maybe, you know, somebody learn anything from me. Um, I think from my position in a policy standpoint and what goes on at the, at the Office of the Secretary of Defense, why that's significant is because uh, you're right, the unidentified moniker is going to breed fire to the UFO assumption by people. Um, and I don't think that's something that the DOD necessarily like wants to do willingly, mm. and they're going to do that. And so uh, a couple of things there, and I make sure that I think I've pointed this out before, but I'll, I'll make sure I touch on it well is if the Department of Defense was lying. So if they were, and because I know this comes up, it was black projects, they really do know if they could identify them. If they were lying, they violated several federal laws by doing that mm -hmm. because you can engage in propaganda or deception against 
foreign government targets, but this was an American release. You cannot target the American people for uh, propaganda or lying to them. So yeah. either the, the Secretary of Defense lied there or they didn't do everything possible to provide some explanation because I believe that if they could have said, ladies and gentlemen, the uh, the engineering analysis of these events and everything, we have not been able to determine conclusively what they are. However, uh, most probably they're a distant airplane or, you know, we if they could have concluded that mm -hmm. they would have. And so to give you that unidentified marker. One of the things that's interesting about that is it opens up a, a legal precedent and a policy precedent in which uh, that other side of the release that has yet to come out, that has been delayed for some time, and I think anybody in the UFO world knows, and that follows um, the article that I wrote back in, in February, February 14th, where um, you know, initially they had said that this OSAP program had nothing to do with UFOs, it's so silly, and then I, you know, I, by using their own statements to Congress and, and their own reports and everything that was provided to them, I was like, well, this is not true. Here it goes. This, this, you, you definitely were involved in UFO race research in some capacity. And so, um, if you're going to acknowledge that, and, and again, just because they're involved in UFO investigations doesn't mean they're getting ready to roll out the disclosure and they're getting ready to bring out the, the aliens from the secret base or whatever other theories that could be out there. But it does set the framework for behind the fact that if indeed the United States government uh, is engaged in a formalized programs to look at these events, that indeed they do encounter uh, unidentified aerial phenomena. Um and sets that stage for it. Um, so, uh, what if it's just simply that there, you know, there's, there's, there are secrets involved, and they can't tell you this because it's, you know, it's classified top secret stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, is this something that you that is this 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 statement that they release? Does that conflict with that interpretation? Could it just be a cover? I mean, like obviously, you go back mm -hmm. to things like like Roswell. Uh, where the government gave a cover story for these these um, these sonar balloons or whatever they were that uh, people thought were flying saucers, and mm -hmm. uh, I don't think they said that they, they were flying saucers, but they they gave mm -hmm. some other story, and it, it seems like a reasonable thing to do for the government to give a cover story and say one thing when they actually mean another thing. Is this is this statement actually a lie? Or is this actually illegal? If if they if they do. Um, knows more than they're saying. No, and that's a great point because I think people bring that up a lot. And, and this is something I try to reiterate to people that you cannot assess uh, the activities and what is going on within government by examining uh, what went on in 1947, hmm. 1960, 1969, 1980, because there's we have different laws and precedents. Right. And so in this particular case, we're working under uh, Executive Order 13526, Section 1.4, A through G. And so this is where they can classify information. And so um, – and I get that a lot from people when they're like, yeah, right. Remember, uh, you know, what's the mind control, MK Ultra and all this stuff. Right. I'm like, totally understand you, yellow fruit in the 80s and everything. But we're not, we need to assess these because these happened uh, 
you know, and actually, I believe if, if we were going to, well, now they're under 13,526. Uh, prior to that, they would have been under five, 329. Maybe I'd have to look it up. But another executive order that was signed by George Bush. And so those are the laws and legal precedents that set what they can and cannot classify. Um, I can't find any legal basis. And, and I talked to uh, a D.C. area national security lawyer saying, I understand where the source and methods, and it actually would fall under 1.4, I think, E or G and C, of where they could classify the methods and sources and everything that they got there to arrive at that conclusion. The conclusion itself, the conclusion in saying uh, nothing, not, there's nothing classified, there's no legal basis that would have that, that could have prevented them from coming out and saying, right now we can't definitively say what these are because they happened in 2015, 2004. However, uh, to the best of our analysis that we have engaged in, we believe these to be X, Y, and Z, whether it's prosaic planes or mm. artifacts in the system. But if there's they don't that say that, there's nothing that forces them to do that either. There's there's no and there's no law saying that they have to reveal what they think something might be if they're not sure what it might be. That would be almost like a, just a PR type thing rather than an actual requirement for them to include that in the release. Well, sure, but there there is one actually there is one aspect that would and and it is that uh, and we can see this we can see this in uh, take for instance the past three years. So the conclusions mm -hmm. there that they uh, unlawfully held this, uh, you know, for whatever reason, it's been identified, but we're going to unlawfully call it unidentified. Okay. Mm -hmm. Or the two conclusions there is we've, we, we've broken the law, you know, up into the uh, executive branches and the appointed officials within government in the current presidential administration, or we're incompetent. And that's the thing. And I know and you're but he, here's the part that I say it's so nuanced and silly people. But but you have to understand that these people walk around and take the secretary of the Navy just recently. He went in there, make a hasty decision, removed a commander of an mm. aircraft carrier, went out there and for reasons unbeknownst to any of us, made an ass of himself and you yeah. know, said some derogatory comments. And he was gone before the week was over. And so there's always a. Um, there's always somebody gunning for those positions. And so if you look at this, the episodic evidence of the last three years, if there was, and this is going to go into the decision making before they release this, because like I said, it's at the highest levels. If the potential existed when people started pushing that could have access. So the politicians and leaders that this was an illegal statement or, a, or an incompetent statement, meaning that they hadn't thoroughly, examined it and the general counsel hadn't approved it legally um seven months away from a presidential election in the united states of america you would you know if it was consistent with what we have seen in the last three years you would probably see the entire democratic oppositional party the the democratic national convention 80 percent of hollywood and everybody else as pointing out yet another example of incompetence and everything because that's how politics work and and in these positions, these are politically appointed positions. And so... But are I, you putting up I, illegal or, or incompetent as being the two options here? Because that's not how it seems to me. Like, I mean, it seems like a fairly straightforward 
statement that on the face of it has nothing wrong with it to me. Well, sure. If the idea is that um, they did know what these objects were, right? Or they had a group, no. Like, uh, I'm not suggesting that they know what the objects were. I think that the objects are unidentified, but they have mm-hmm. an idea of the type of things that they might be. Like I think they think that the uh, like Fleur, for example, might be a video of one of a number of things. It could be a commercial jet. It could be a military jet. It could be a drone. It could be a, a jet flown by a foreign power. Uh, it could be a Russian jet or a Chinese jet. It could be mm-hmm. a number of things. And they have an idea that it might be one of those things, but they haven't identified what it actually is. And the same same type of thing goes for the uh, gimbal. Like, you know, gimbal, I have two hypotheses for gimbal, not gimbal, go fast. I have two hypotheses mm-hmm. that it's either a bird or a balloon because it's something that's moving slowly at a certain altitude. Mm-hmm. And I think it's probably a balloon, but I wouldn't rule out bird. And, of course, it could be some kind of, excuse me, slow-moving drone or something like that. So you can know mm-hmm. things about the videos without actually identifying them. So maybe they've done analysis on these videos, mm-hmm. the same type of thing that I've done. Yeah, you know, to mm-hmm. determine these things, like, you know, this maybe this is just a rotating glare, uh, which means that it's some kind of jet engine. But knowing that there's a jet engine there doesn't identify the object. So from my perspective, if you look at this statement by the Department of Defense, it seems like a very straightforward statement that they're releasing the videos you know, really because they've got lots of Freedom of Information Act requests for them and they, they can't be bothered dealing with them all and they, they they think it will stop people asking them if there's more video if they release this and say this is all the video we have and characterize them as unidentified isn't lying and it isn't incompetent it's just like the simple classification that they give and for some reason they've chosen not to give their uh, more detailed analysis of things perhaps because more, the more detailed analysis in, involved you know, analysis of things like the the radar systems and whatnot, and the, and the floor system. The floor system may you know, the fact that you get a glare that rotates at a certain configuration mm-hmm. may be a classified thing because it's a limitation of the system, and it's you know, there's no good reason for it to be classified. But it's the type of thing. It's a technological limitation. It's classified by default. So you're characterizing this statement as as being kind of either an illegal thing, a lie or some kind of incompetence where they don't know what they're doing. Whereas I I kind of, you know, I would include those as possibilities, but I think the more likely thing is that these are just people doing their job and they thought that, you know, we would just nip this one in the bud with all these requests, get this out there, and, you know, we haven't identified it, so we'll just say it's identified. We don't need to get into the details, and that's it. And, and again, that... I'll say why I don't think that that it would be likely, and that simply goes into the the, the information we discussed that's that's not out there. Because if if the Department of Defense, uh, and again, excuse me, the Office of the Secretary of Defense, with everything at their disposal, had to make that conclusion based on the videos and videos alone, that may indeed be true. But in this case, we know, and and I understand that you and I don't have it, but we Mm -hmm. know that they had a number of different systems uh, that could have uh, been able to easily track whether or not this was a distant airplane or any of these types of things. They had, you know, the the carrier strike group is the crown jewel of, of the military defense apparatus. And so the idea that, uh, there were not a number of other systems, whether they be classified or unclassified, that couldn't identify a distant airplane. 
that's that's disturbing in and of itself. So that maybe maybe incompetence wouldn't be the right term. That would be uh, deficiency in capability. And so I think you're right. I think that if you isolate the videos, and that's all I've ever said, is that I don't think that uh, any true conclusion can be derived at just by right. the videos alone. And nor do I believe that the Department of Defense did that. I don't think they would have. Doesn't mean that they ruled it was aliens. Doesn't mean they ruled it was whatever. But I think that they absolutely would have used everything at their disposal, including systems that, frankly, we probably don't know about. Uh, actually, we certainly don't know about. Uh, you know, BOA Air Force Base has a unit there that is in charge of all of that. Uh, there's probably data there. There could be satellite data there. Uh, I will say, um, you're right. Just, so are just you saying looking. are you saying then that you know you're you're basically saying from the Nimitz case from everything you mm -hmm. talked about before that you think that if it was a plane they would know it was a plane and yes. that by saying it's unidentified that means from your perspective it's not a plane oh well i i absolutely i will say that the distant plane if you isolate just the video, and I'll be at no problem going on the record, and I think I've said it before, the videos as of in and of themselves, and again, I've told you the other two, the go fast and the other I'm not as familiar with, but uh, are they impressive and indicative proof of anything? No. Are they, do they show alien life? Do they show anything? No. And, and that's where I think that uh, you've got to have You've got to examine it in totality. And I understand there's information out there that we don't have access to uh, in terms of radar data and all these other intangibles that would have been in place there. But even the, the idea of a distant plane theory, let's say, with the FLIR-1, mm -hmm. um, for me, why, why I don't think that that's yet been proven as a, um, a definitive conclusion is because it doesn't fit in the framework of a, a comprehensive explanatory model. And I think... Again, we have two different approaches. And so my approach is I'm not really examining just the video. I, I'm, I'm examining the event in totality as best as possible, which includes the eyewitness testimony and all these different things, the policies, procedures, blah, 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 blah. Um, and so therefore, just the video alone, anybody who views the video alone and says that it is proof of aliens <laughs> or it is proof of anything prosaic alone, I don't. I don't, we don't have enough data points there. And, and I think you'd agree with me. Uh, you know, there's certain information lacking on the FLIR 1 to be able to provide a good analysis. Sure, sure. I mean, the, we don't have uh, a host of data here that can even give us the, the speed of the object they're going. And I know I saw your, your recent video, and I'll ask you because you're the technical kind of guy. Um, you know, can... Are you able to, on just that, determine the speed, the speed of the object? To determine the speed of the object, you essentially have to know how, how big it is. Uh, so mm -hmm. you, can, you can make a, a range of determinations of, of how big it might be, and that gives you how far away it is. And from that, you can kind of figure out uh, how fast it is going, which isn't something I've really uh, done recently. I remember it was something that was done years ago, and I can't remember what the results were offhand, unfortunately. 
but I don't remember it being you know, super inconsistent with it being a plane. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can you can do things like that. The the video is very low quality in terms of being able to see what the actual shape of the object is. It's either mm-hmm. a very blurry object or it's a very blurry video. And I'm thinking a blurry video is probably the likely explanation. Um, but yeah, it's it's you, the video itself. You know, I I look at I look at the video, and you say you look at the bigger picture. But I think in order to look at the bigger picture, you've got to weed out assumptions that people are making about uh, bits of the evidence, like the video. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people out there who say things about these videos that I think are just basically not true. Uh, they will mm-hmm. say that uh, in the Fleur video, this one from the Nimitz from 2004, they will say that this is object is making these sudden moves and at the end it like zips off to the side, uh, mm-hmm. which I think if you analyze the video in detail, I, my, my last video was on this, I think that shows that it doesn't do that and it's just simply the camera is tracking this object. So it's just mm-hmm. really the object is flying in a way that makes it move across the, the frame, which means it's probably moving away and to the left. Um, mm-hmm. and the plane itself is following it, so it gets a bit bigger because the plane gets closer. So I think people are making claims about the videos which are then incorporated into this bigger picture. I, from my perspective, I'm not really trying to make an overwhelming argument as to what these things are. What, mm-hmm. I'm, what I focus on is looking at these, these videos and then looking at what people are saying about these videos and then seeing if that's true. So if someone says this gimbal video shows a rotating flying saucer shaped craft, then mm-hmm. I will say, does it actually show that? Is this what we're actually seeing there? Is there another explanation for that that actually fits the observed facts better? And I investigate that. And then I will, I will say, yeah, well, it actually looks like it's the glare of the camera and there's this gimbal system thing, which is very, very difficult to understand. And you've probably seen me going over and over and over the same explanations uh, on on Twitter and people not getting it. Some people mm-hmm. have explained it to them years ago and they still don't get it, uh, mm-hmm. which is kind of frustrating, but, you know, what can you do? <laughs> but I'm not trying to say uh, this is, this is, there's, there's nothing going on here. I'm not saying there's nothing going on mm-hmm. in the Nimitz encounter. I don't know what Fravor saw. I don't know what the, the wing woman saw. I don't know what the, the WSO saw, even though they don't really talk about it very much. I don't know what the radar returns were. I mean, may, maybe glitches, maybe a combination of factors. Uh, I don't know what's on the Fleur 1 video, but mm-hmm. I do know the video doesn't show a craft making sudden accelerations. And so mm-hmm. this is really my position. And that mm-hmm. there are things that we can fix in the evidence base. And mm-hmm. by fixing these things, we should move closer to the truth, regardless of what you think that truth actually is. Is it a prosaic or is it something really interesting? Um, so don't, don't think I'm trying to argue a certain case mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. I have my opinions about what I think it is, but I'm not trying to base my uh, analysis on working out the prosaic explanation. I want to figure out what these things actually are. I would love it if they were alien spaceships, but you know, unfortunately I'm not, not, not seeing the evidence and certainly not seeing it in these videos. Well, well, thank you for saying that because I'm glad you said that because I've said that to many friends at points in times and I can be wrong about this, but I have said for as much, uh, 
for as much as bullshit as you take at times, I, I secretly believe that Mick West would love to find something really <laughs> crazy. And it's, not a, it's not secret. <laughs> I would uh, love okay. it. It would well, be great. I, I haven't heard that. I, and so I, res- I, I do respect the fact that uh, one of the things is the same thing I take approach. We just have different approaches. And I default to people who have much better technical expertise there because I say this is where I'm good at. This is I stay in my lane. Um, but we share in this idea that, you know, it, again, we all kind of it, it does no good to give opinions and espouse some. We, you know, people will out there. Well, clearly it's aliens. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think that's a little bit of a leap, but OK. Um, but I, I think that the implication and that's where I really stay in it is to just say we could be talking about something very complex. And so. Um, whether it's you and I don't not to pick on you, but whether it's people who are legitimate skeptics or people who are quote hardened believers, let's try to to not get framed into this dogmatic frame of mind of of just trying to fit it into something. Let's always consider that. Um, and I mentioned this on Twitter. You know, that's where I stand by it. Are these objects flying? The answer is yes and no. And the answer is yes and no. That means the real conclusion may lie beyond the hypothesis. And I'm a huge advocate. And, and it may be with this, uh, with UFOs, whether it's with AI and all these things. And I'm a huge advocate of let's never simplify things that could have complex solutions. I'm all about technological innovation, intellectual mm-hmm. pursuits. And it. I don't think it's fair to characterize you as there. And I... I um, you know, maybe I give you a hard time in saying it's a simplistic solution because of the plain thing. But at the same time, if that's what you really wanted, we wouldn't be talking right now, you know, and I, I appreciate that. And so um, yeah. I, I it, it's it's weird, you know, and I think that's what we can all yeah. agree to. It's and weird. And we it lack is weird. That. We lack that. <laughs> it is we, weird. We, uh, uh, and, even even like the. The videos themselves, like the the gimbal thing with the rotating glare, is a weird thing that I, I'd never seen before, and it took me a while to figure out what I think it actually is, which is this this rotating rotating glare. It's it's a complicated thing, and it's a, a new thing. And in some ways, the flying saucer explanation is simpler than the rotating glare explanation. And that's something people <laughs> accuse me sometimes of is is creating these fa- fantastic explanations when there's a much simpler explanation, and that it's an alien spaceship. Why don't you just go with the obvious, simple thing? Why have you got to go this really complicated gimbals and interlocking systems and axes and gimbal lock and flare and glare and and uh, yeah? So uh, people's perception of what is you know the, the Occam's razor thing, uh, what the simplest explanation is often the best. Uh, for a lot of people, the simplest explanation is actually something like aliens or some kind of advanced technology flying craft and the ridiculous explanation is that it's a rotating glare so i I think you've always got to be careful to uh check your biases on these things and obviously we're all guilty we're all guilty Mm. of having a certain bias even if we we try to be objective uh you've got to keep an open mind uh i try to keep an open mind i i entertain these these hypotheses and I would ask people who you know, are more UFO fans to also entertain the hypotheses uh, from you know, the other side. We're not really on opposite sides. We're just we're all we're all trying to figure things out here. But keep a, a genuinely open mind, not just an open mind about aliens. 
Sure. And, and that is why I said uh, I appreciate you letting me come on here. And I hope that anybody, regardless of what their you know, pre-existing views are, it, it is that, um, that, yeah, I mean, I think we've had we have great dialogue here where, mm-hmm. man, I, I walk away from it. And, 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 you know, and I think I even mentioned this to you that the rotating glare thing, I think you provide a pretty good analysis with that. That's why I brought up the point going, am I missing something? I didn't know that rotating glare was so significant to people. I'm still like, it doesn't rule out your aliens and it doesn't rule out the plane. It doesn't rule out aliens. But it it does give a good example there Mm -hmm. where now we can rule that out. Remember I said the complex problem. They're zipping around, not in our physics. But we don't have evidence for doing that right there. So maybe we need to look for something else. Yeah, Um, Yeah. we're pruning... Pruning the tree of evidence here, getting rid of the dead wood that's kind of getting in the way, and eventually we'll get a stronger tree, which will be able to support a uh, a good hypothesis that may turn out to be the right one. I I truly hope, and that's where I approach it from my part. I understand that maybe I get more accolades from the UFO community, but I think that's because the work that I do looks at these people who are investigating them from a government standpoint or you know, I just have a different approach. It's, yeah. it's, it's, you know, not saying it's, 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 it's not scientific. It, it is an empirical, uh, logical approach. And that's how I make sure I let people know it's through pure logic, which I, I come from a social science background where you, you realize one thing and one thing only people are freaking weird. People do weird things. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, and I know this with your conspiracy work is that, Oftentimes, the grand conspiracies, the deep state, boil down to um, human factors that are silly. And it goes back to that 1910 thing. People have harped on that with the release of the videos. And uh, I go, guys, ladies and gentlemen, people make mistakes. And in fact, if you read the form, God bless him. He, you know, it's not like I'm buddies with him, but our interaction has always been very pleasant. Um, and I assume. Uh, Mr. Luis Elizondo filled out that form. I think he's admitted that he misspelled gimbal. All right. We're all human. Right. <laughs> you know, we all make mistakes. And so a lot of these things, and I go that with the government. I mean, that's why uh, I don't feud with them. I, I've tried to work with them to explain them the information that we've got. And, uh, you know, hopefully the same goes there. I, I would love if they, and, and in fact, so that you are aware, I have petitioned them you know, to their engineering reports down at Naval Weapons Systems Command to try to provide you, me, and everybody some more information. Because if I think if you have that information and we have that information, well, that changes the dynamic. Mm-hmm. I don't think, I, I mean, I could be wrong, but Mick, I don't think you're going to go, hmm, guys are still full of shit. You know, you're going to go, well, <laughs> I'm okay, going to look at maybe. the new information. <laughs> right. And see, and see what we can do. And, yeah. um, so yeah, no, I, no it's I think, very um, it's a very interesting uh, situation. Still, you know, it's amazing it's been going on so long as well. It's uh, and hopefully, you know, we'll get more information and we'll be able to get some kind of resolution. You know, at least on some of these videos, I'm 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 kind of confident that at some point, uh, my my at least my rotating glare analysis is going to be uh, vindicated. But uh, I, it may take a while. I think. And I'll go on record. Here we are, everybody. From limited information, now, I think your rotating glare analysis is is, is a good one. I, I will tell you, I've spoken to F-18 pilots, defense industry experts, technology engineers, and everything. 
the distant plane hypothesis, they're not on board with. Okay. Right. But I'm not, I've never flown F-18. The rotating gimbal uh, thing that you have demonstrated, all of which have said, yeah, no, that's, that's pretty, yeah, I think that that's a very good uh, hypothesis. And so, um, I don't know, I mm. brought this up and I think some people were like, no, it's a big deal. They said on the TV show and everything. And I'm like, I, I would hope, and, and I hope that you'd agree with me too. I would, I don't think that you equally, you don't produce YouTube videos for, to, for people to go, well, there we go, ladies and gentlemen, science has been solved. And the same goes for the TV yeah. shows. And so I don't know what they said. I don't pay attention to that. Not knocking your YouTube videos. I'm just saying um, people can be wrong. People yeah. do weird yeah. things. And um, again, it could be a non-rotating alien spacecraft that for whatever reason, if it's alien, <laughs> they sure don't give a shit what we think and want to do because they're not... <laughs> Yeah, they're not giving us any evidence. That's a whole uh, other uh, discussion. <laughs> what the heck is going on here? <laughs> I, I don't uh, even yeah. try to pretend. I barely, and I've been you know, almost 20 years, I've been trained to, to understand human behavior and, and mm. the way people work. I don't even understand that. I'm not even going to try to understand an alien species. Yeah. 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 It's, it's interesting, and that's all I'll say. I know we're probably running close on time, and I'll just yeah. say, Mick, um, I appreciate it. And I would hope that anybody coming through there, whether it's the, the people on Metabunk that, that, that really put in a lot of great work and they do this analysis, the people on the UFO side, there's some really good, legitimate investigators. I'll tell you, as someone who trained investigators, they're good investigators in any field. You don't hear about them much. Mm -hmm. They don't get on there and argue with you on Twitter. They don't do this type of stuff, but they do some really good analysis. And I hope that on both of those sides, the potential that this is a complex problem that's going to require some some really uh, out of the box thinking or some some thinking to realize that our current hypothesis may not fit an answer. We got to look a little further. Hey, man, if we encourage that, I, I really don't give a shit if they decide it's aliens or not. But if they develop the technology that leads us to Mars or they develop the AI that does something that, you know, is innovative because they're trying to solve what this could be. Well, I really don't care if it's aliens or not. And I know mm. the the UFO crowd maybe maybe don't want to hear that, but I'm like you. I'd love for it to be aliens. I really would. But if it's gonna be it, I do want it to be held to the standard where I think I mentioned that, that, that Mick West and Neil deGrasse Tyson and Seth Sostak lead the parade arm in arm of excitement because this would be uh, oh, yeah. the greatest. This would be the greatest thing in human history. So yeah, let's treat it like that. Yeah, I think a, a lot of scientists are really uh, science fiction fans as well. So yeah, they're they're all on board with uh, aliens being out there if it's a possibility, and they would they would love for uh, they would love for it to happen, and they would yeah you know, they would love even if it's just something like discovering radio signals from another star that would be quite uh, quite amazing, and uh, aliens flying around in little alien spaceships would be quite amazing too. But then again, if it's just like the Chinese with their warp drives. That would be also be very amazing. So whatever mm -hmm. happens, uh, well, there's a potential for something that's amazing. But I, I'm still holding out for the potential for something pretty boring as well. But uh, well, we, <laughs> we may never know. <laughs> yeah. Well, we got to disprove that. Other than I would just say, I don't think that the alien spaceships are flying. 
around. <laughs> They're doing something, <laughs> at uh, least based on what we got there. Yeah. So, so maybe that'll that'll drive you crazy. And I've made all the UFO people happy because now you're going to be trying to figure out videos to how do you present something flying that's not flying. And mm-hmm. hey, dude, I'll be the first. Actually, I don't have the ability to. I will write whoever I need to to put you in for a Nobel Prize if you could figure <laughs> that one out. Because that's that would be great. And uh, yeah, that would be great. We'll see. All right. Well, this has been uh, very interesting. uh, And uh, hopefully it will uh, kind of clear some things up about, you know, my position and uh, your position and our relative positions. It's not like I'm arguing that uh, it has to be this way. I'm just pointing out certain things. And you've obviously done great work, like on the the more people and institutional side of the investigation and uh, kind of blending those things together. And... Sorting the wheat from the chaff, I think we can we can maybe uh, get something in the long run, and keep plugging I'm, away at, uh, at all these people and get more information from them. I'm so excited. Just... What I've taken away from this is you believe it's aliens. So great! I didn't, <laughs> Wait, no, stop! <laughs> all right, cut, cut. No, no, I appreciate it, Mick. Thanks a lot, and yeah. I do hope that people take this and uh, this is how real science and this is how innovation occurs. These yep. are people of different, diverse backgrounds coming together and arguing points because there's things that you brought up that I'll walk away with and I hope others walk away with and go, huh, interesting there and maybe vice versa. Yeah, definitely vice versa, yeah. So cool. I'm glad to be able to sh- to demonstrate that. And that's the best part about all of it. So all cool. right. Well, thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm.